We're trying to get to Rome. I promise we'll get there. Maybe not this week. I keep saying that, but I think we'll try to get there. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that sometimes uh, where you've been attacked the most, or maybe I could say you've had the most pain, you can often minister through that or in that area the best or the most. You, you've been through something. You've, you've suffered great loss. Maybe you've suffered a, a divorce or a death or financial ruin or uh, some type of a relationship problem. And often in that, you're able to you minister in such a deep way to some people uh, that you wouldn't have been able to before unless you had gone through that. And so maybe in the case of our study of going to Rome, we, we can say it like this. Shipwrecks or shipwreck survivors embrace the truth that the area the enemy attacks the most is the same area God will use the most for his glory. Every time the enemy seems to attack in a certain area, it's where God gets glory out of. And so it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. We just hate going through it. And so Paul, this shipwreck survivor that we've been talking about, he went from persecuting the believers to recruiting them now for the kingdom of God. Went from one extreme to the other extreme of what God could do and how God could use him. Paul knew that what his enemies intended for his demise would perpetuate and somehow become his divine destination. In other words, on the surface, it appeared, we've been through this, you've been here for several weeks now, on the surface, it seems like Paul was going to Rome to face criminal charges. That's a bad thing. If I had a, a court appearance tomorrow because I was facing criminal charges, well, first of all, I probably wouldn't be in the pulpit depending on the criminal charges, but, I, you know, I, that's, I'm going to be a little unnerved. I'm going to be a little uh, uneasy about what's going to happen on that. But that's what it looked like on the surface. But from an eternal perspective, God was working to put Paul in place as a pillar of a church God wanted to start there in Rome. It was something magnificent that was getting ready to happen. It didn't seem like it was going to work out that way because, Paul, you're, you've got to get to Rome, absolutely, but on a prison ship, on, 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 going to be arrested, gonna, gonna, who knows what's going to happen to you when you got to Rome. But Paul's weakness became God's strength, and, and that was spotlighted once again after Paul landed on that island of Malta following that shipwreck. You remember this? He's out in the deep. He's out in the sea. They, it, we're, nowhere, everybody's got to stay on board. We, they got the ship stuck in the sandbar. The ship blew up hard of the, the waves. Everybody got to the land. Everybody got to Malta. And then that, last week we talked about that. That's when that gotcha moment where he was moving some sticks and a, and a snake, a viper, uh, got onto his, fastened onto Paul's hand. Uh, Acts 28, 7 says, In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us there and lodged three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom, entered, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and he healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came. They were also healed. 
And then they also honored us with many honors, Paul says. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as was necessary. Okay, let's follow along these scriptures here for a moment. I don't want to stretch this too far, but please allow me to do this tonight, to follow along. The hand that recently had a viper hanging off of it, dangling from it, was the same hand, perhaps, that Paul used to lay hands on people and they were healed. Okay, so Publius' father and all the sick of the island of Malta came. So, this, so the, the, the case I'm trying to make or the point I'm trying to make is the enemy attacks the areas God wants to use for his glory. And so this viper, again, stretch with me just a little bit. When, when, we, when we see God provide for and protect and empower us, we realize we're gonna make it to shore. We're, we're gonna be all right and we can shake off those serpents because, again, we know from the get-go, come hell or high water, God said you're going to Rome. And so I don't care what viper's in the way. I don't care how severe the storm. I don't care if the boat messes up. I don't care if it, it, it tears up. I don't care if you've cut loose all of, the life that, uh, all of the life rafts. All of that and none of that really matters because God says you're going to get to Rome and then you have a detour to Malta. Okay, at least we're safe on land. We talked about that. But in the middle of that, this gotcha moment where now a viper's on you. And it's just another setback, it sort of seems, that, that's going to happen. And so, but in those things, even after enduring the storm, and even after the snake bite where he just shook it off in the fire, there are still times we, resli- we, we resist allowing God to use us and our weakness. Okay? Last week at the very end, we talked about Gideon. The people, when they saw him shake off that snake in the fire, they went from, oh, he's a murderer to, oh, he's a god. Nobody can do this. Their perspective changed on that. And and last week I kind of talked about sometimes we get in our own way of trying to get our, of God trying to get us to Rome. Gideon got in his own way. In the back of the kitchen, trying to sneak around some food so the, so the enemy wouldn't see him. And then the angel, thou mighty man of valor, you got to be kidding me. You got the wrong guy here. That's not who I am. Well, he didn't understand who he was. God knew who he was. And so Gideon got himself, got in his own way is really what happened. And just like Gideon, sometimes we still make excuses or we lay out endless fleeces before God of, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. There's, there's no possible way. And, and this isn't right. This isn't who I am. This isn't what God, God, you can't call me to do that. The problem sometimes, and let me, let me take a little jaunt here and we'll come back. But sometimes the problem lies in that we heap shame on ourselves. We're the ones we, 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 we allow ourselves to feel certain things that have been forgiven, that are things in the past, that are old and done away with, but yet we constantly kind of bring them up again and bring them up again and bring them up again. How many of us would do anything for God if that's the only record we ever replayed? I don't care how perfect you think you are, you're not. And if you want to know you're not perfect, come to me and I'll tell you why you're not. Just kidding. Talk to your family. They'll be sure and inform you how imperfect you are. But we talked about last week, 
God doesn't always, he's not looking for the perfect. He's not looking for that. He's looking sometimes for the weebly and wobbly. And the, I'm not sure if I can do that because where my weakness is, he is strong and he gets all the glory out of it. And so in those situations, we sometimes heap stuff on ourselves and we feel all of this shame. And let me distinguish here for a moment this, this idea of guilt and, and, and conviction and conscience and, and distinguish it somewhat from shame. Because what shame is, is shame is causes us to fixate on ourselves. And we maintain a human perspective of this is who I am and this is what I've done and this is how bad I am. And we, we, we shame then. It just lingers on what you've done or not done, what you've said or you've not said. And it haunts your mind and your heart with all these images from the past. Please, folks, I'm not up here trying to say, so whatever you did, it's no big deal. Just get on with life. Because there are certain things, you understand there are consequences to pay. You understand there are things that follow people the rest of their life. I can't help those things and, and the land in which we live and the laws that we have to abide by. And I'm not saying they're bad things. What I am saying is sometimes we let so many things weight us down where we can't and convince ourselves we can't do anything for God. And it's that shame talking. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve, the Bible specifically says they had no shame. They felt no shame. Read along a little while when they fell into sin. The Bible says they hid themselves from God. And all of a sudden they felt all kinds of shame. So when we become aware of our sin, I'm not saying ignore it. I, please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say this evening. But when we know we have done something or we know we have disobeyed God and, and we need forgiveness, I have news for you, which you all know well, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what will he do? He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means it's under the blood. Leave it there. There's no need to drag it out and to feel shame about it over and over and over. The problem, we know we are forgiven, but sometimes we don't feel like we are forgiven, and that's the shame territory. Feelings that we're unwilling to tell others our stories and share what God has done for us sometimes puts a lid and puts a cap on things. I've started out by saying many times where God can get the greatest glory is where you hurt the most, and sometimes what we do is we won't let we don't want anybody to know that we've been hurt. We don't want anybody to know that we've struggled with certain things in our life. We don't want anybody to know that God has delivered us from those things. And our testimony is powerful, but our testimony is pushed down because we're too ashamed to share it. You're just a prostitute. You're just a druggie. You're just an addict. You're just a liar. You're just an adulterer. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't pray enough. You're not spiritual. You've got hidden sins that you can't lick. You're a hypocrite. Hear me out, though. Once we are forgiven, we are no longer who we were. Colossians 1.22 says, In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable, and I'm reprovable in his sight. 
even after we know this, struggles still come with forgiving ourselves and seeing ourselves as God sees us. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion. He walketh about. He just wants to wreak havoc everywhere he can go, seeking whom he may devour. Revelation 12, 10 I won't read the first part. Let's jump down to the where area that says, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night, just constantly wreaking havoc, constantly trying to blame you for something and constantly trying to bring things up from the past. The enemy still attacking us, trying to bring that shame of our past. It is crucial to look at the difference between shame and a healthy conscience. We are there, we, uh, the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to him who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in sin or if you're doing things that are against the word of God, you better thank God every day you feel conviction because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Repentance said you did it, you're in sin, you've done wrong, but you can ask and be forgiven for that and God is faithful and just to forgive us of all sins. Shame says you're shameful, you're bad, you're hideous, you're horrible and I don't care what you've done, you can forgive and you can ask for forgiveness all you want. You still are guilty, you still are full of shame. That is never from God. God releases his people and they are there. there's no condemnation and we are clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's crucial for us to understand the difference here because here's where we're getting all through all this. The enemy does not want you to use the hand that the viper was on to heal anybody. Spin that out. You understand. I'm not talking about a, maybe a literal hand, but I'm talking about the areas of life that you've struggled, the areas of things that God has, has, that has happened in your life. He doesn't want you to use those to be able to minister and to heal others. You know what God has done in your life. You know you're a sinner saved by grace, but that's just like everybody else. The things you've gone through, the situations and, and, and things that life and the storms you have gone through is not for nothing. Your scars from the shipwreck are now God's trophies of grace. He brought you this far. He'll get you to Rome. Let's consider another of Jesus' disciples. Uh, let, let's look at Simon Peter, starting with Matthew 14. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a spirit, and cried out in fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, said, be of good cheer. No, 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 it's, it's I, be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it, thou, if, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. He said, come on. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? First, again, they all thought it was a ghost. Peter, just like Gideon, just like us, asked for proof. Jesus said, it's I, well... I'm not sure. It's really you, Jesus. Tell me, come on out in the water then. Asking for proof again. Come on, he says. 
step by step, we're doing what we never could imagine or accomplish on our own. Some people in this room are doing some things so amazing that you never in your life thought you would be where you are. You're walking on the water. And then sometimes for a moment, take our eyes off God. We start to sink. Doubt starts to come in. Fear and maybe some shame swallow our progress. But again, a kind heavenly father reaches out and grabs us and picks us up again. And this is what happened to Peter. But if you watch again, Peter, Peter, you're, you're, you're not going to, be with me. Lord, I'm going to die for you. Peter, you're not. You want to bet? I guarantee you, I'm going to be right there. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. Everybody else can leave you. I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to, here I am. I'm going to die. Peter, before it's morning, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. It's impossible. I'll never do that. That's, I can't, that can't happen. Look at this. Peter's life full of ups and downs. Strong this day. Fickle the next day. On cloud nine that day, wondering what everybody else is going to do in the kingdom on the next day. Cutting off an ear and then screaming, running through a garden, trying to get away. Declaring he would die with Jesus and then telling him, I don't have a clue who this man is. I don't know him. I don't have any idea who he is. But Jesus knew what Peter could become. And who he was. He saw something in him and he spoke to that. Matthew 16, 18. This is a long time. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus, he took him and transforms Peter's doubts and his fears into a bedrock of faith and trust. There was a, a lot for Peter to be upset about and feel shame over, and he could have, in his counterpart, run and hang himself like Judas did, but no, what did Peter decide to do? I I know I've done wrong. I know I've done bad things, but I've decided I'm shaking some vipers loose in the fire and I'm going to allow God to use him. And on the day of Pentecost in front of all those people had no clue what was going on and some even making fun. He jumped up there and started preaching to every one of them. He wasn't running scared anymore because he was a rock that God had seen. Shame over who and what we used to be or what we've done in the past, I'm here to tell somebody it cannot bind you. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what kind? New, brand new creation or creature. Old things, where'd they go? They are passed away. And what's become new? Everything. All things have become new. When we've made it through storms, we've reached the shore, we've survived the shipwrecks and the snake bites, and we're willing to let God work through the parts of our lives that the enemy attacked, then we can expect God's favor on our life. Because this isn't about me. This isn't about you. This isn't about what we can do on our own power. This is the place where God can get the glory. When we're obedient to God 
and willing for him to win others through our wounds and allow God to minister through us to others, he'll sustain us and he'll equip us for what's ahead. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Philippians 4, 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There may be times even when you get close, or you, even when you're in Rome, I don't know where you'll be, there may be times you still have those gotcha moments where I, a viper will come out or something will catch you off guard or, or you'll briefly waver and sink in the sea for just a moment. In those moments, though, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't sell out to shame and say, I knew I couldn't do it. In those moments, remember, God has given you purpose. God has given you a destiny. God is going to get you to Rome. You've got to stand up and occupy the very area hell has fought to keep you out of because there is a something down inside of you that says, come what may, I'm going to shake everything off because God is with me on my journeys. You see, shipwreck survivors, they don't just swim in God's favor. They walk on the water. Something powerful happens in them. If you look at the lives of faithful people all throughout Scripture, Many and most, and probably I didn't look them all, obviously, but probably about all of them went through some kind of season or some kind of storm or some kind of shipwreck that prepared them for reaching their destination and fulfilling their purposes. Preparation usually required them to be patient as well. <laughs> This second thing we're going to talk about tonight, <laughs> I have no business talking about the word is patience, um, but this is part of uh, the lesson we need to learn of and looking at all of this. They're on Malta. They're not in Rome. Why are they in Malta? Because when we arrive in Malta instead of Rome, when God doesn't act on our timetable, we are so tempted to dismiss his promises or just assume he's forgotten us. He's changed his mind. Evidently, I'm not going to Rome. Evidently, I'm just going to Malta. But we've got to cling to what we know, what we've heard. We've got to cling to God's promises, particularly when we're temporarily stranded on the way to our divine destination. Because you have to understand, when you're walking with God, everything is divine destination. Every course, every path, every direction you take, you're learning something and building something along the way. Speaking of Abraham, the, the, Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 4.20, saying, Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. But he was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. What powerful words, what great uh, testimony of a, of a patriarch who God gave him some impossible promises. 
It could not happen in you and I's mind and thinking there's no way this, this, this cannot ever come about. This cannot happen. Yet it says Abraham, he didn't stagger. He didn't, he didn't drift from this. He knew what God had promised and he was fully persuaded to, to hang on to those things. I, I've come to help somebody else here tonight that God has not forgotten you. He's there with you just as he promised preparing you for the next leg of your journey. If he placed a calling on your life and prepared you for his purposes, he'll get you to Rome one way or another. He's, you're gonna be there. You're gonna get there. That's what God has said. We simply have to be patient and wait on God's timing. Waiting, as I mentioned, not one of my hallmarks. It's not always easy. Oh, as you stroll through the shores of your temporary Malta, it looks like you're wasting good time. It looks like just there's no possible way. I know this is uh, amazing. I, I, I don't look this old because my hair's not all in yet, but I'm pretty old, and uh, I was in college. Good grief. I don't remember, 25 years ago or something. But I remember some of my cohorts. They left college and the preparation God wanted for them because they had to do something because God was coming so soon. And I believe he is. I mean, you know, with God, it's everything's soon and you understand that. The point being... Here we are 25 down, years down the road. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to call them out or check on them and see what they're doing. But my point is sometimes we've missed preparation because we've been impatient. Some people think you can jump through certain hoops and get to where, get to your Rome. Well, it's not going to work unless you've picked up all of these things along the way. So the point being in this is God's not forgotten. He knows where you are. You're learning lessons along the way that are vitally important. The Israelites leaving Egypt, they witnessed powerful miracles and the, the plagues that came and, and God protected them and, and split the Red Sea open. But eventually... Those same people who were so excited to get out of Egypt and they danced and shouted and played the, uh, the instruments and all of these things because God had delivered them from all of the Egyptian army and destroyed the Egyptian army so they wouldn't have to live in fear and all those wonderful things because they were in the wilderness for so long. They started whining and complaining and they said things like, it would be better off if we'd have died in Egypt. That's quite a change from shouting and excited. But they wanted to go back into slavery because for whatever reason in their mind, it was too hard to follow God into the promised land. Exodus 16, 2 says, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. God got them out of Egypt. God got them through the Red Sea. He's provided things for them. And now, he's gonna kill us with hunger. I bet he don't. 
Why? Because he's a God who knows how to get them to the promised land. But because it took too long and God wasn't on their timetable, it's impossible and I've, got, I've, I've given up and a lot of doubt has entered in. The Israelites, they didn't handle their disappointment very well. To, to put it simply, they lost sight of their purpose and they lost sight of God's promises. But here, let me tell you, if you can make it to Malta, you can make it to Rome. You're going to get there. It's on the way. If you can make it out of Egypt, you can make it to the promised land. He's done the impossible to get you to where you are now. And he'll continue to do whatever it takes to help you reach the place you need to be. When those Israelites, when they wandered and waited in the desert, God provided a manna from heaven. God provided whale for them, um, quail for them, maybe whale too, but quail for them. God provided water for them. He continued to direct them by the pillar of fire and the smoke. And it wasn't what they expected or delivered the way they expected. But nonetheless, God took care of them and provided for all of their needs. Many times our impatience makes us feel as though our time in Malta will never end. We're marching in circles. It doesn't seem like we're getting any Anywhere. And strangely, in those situations, it feels ever harder to trust God when you know you're getting close to where he's trying to take you. And so sometimes when I can see that I'm going to get there and I'm almost there, but not quite, it's within sight, but I'm still waiting. I've got a few more miles to go. You're excited, but you're so weary of the journey. You're hopeful, but you're just cautious too. We'd rather speed this thing up and just get there already. It's tough to have a glimpse of Rome, but not actually be there. Times when you see positive changes in your marriage, but it's just not quite there yet. Times you begin to gain some financial control and control over your finances, but there's still a lot of bills to pay. Times when you got a good report finally from the doctor, but there's still a long road ahead of you. During all of those times, we've got to remember that we're where God wants us to be. He has never forsaken us. He has never left us. He's working things in his timing. And so while we're working to align our expectation with God's sense of timing, please be very careful that you don't overlook all the blessings we have in the present moment and the ways that we can serve others while we're here on Malta. Too often that impatience because we want to do the really important work and we forget there's still people here on Malta that we can minister to, that we can help. God's called us to do that and we've not, and making sure that we don't neglect the small acts that we should do and the small victories and the blessings along the way.
Luke 16, 10 says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. The idea is don't, don't stop doing what you know you should do just because you're getting close to a breakthrough. It'd be like Paul on Malta. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be in Rome. I'm not supposed to be in Malta. Why am I in Malta? Well, you're on your way to Rome. God puts you here. And this guy was so nice to you, treated you so kind. The people of Malta treated you so kind. Publius, his daddy, he's sick. I don't care. I got bigger and better things to do. I had a conference to get to where I can heal thousands. I don't need to go up in some guy's, I don't even know his room and heal him. I, I don't have time for all of that stuff. No, Paul didn't do that. Shook the viper off of the things that tried to kill him. Where's Publius at? Prayed for him and healed him. When that happened, all these other people from the island start coming. I don't have time for this. I'm supposed to be in Rome. Paul, don't miss. You're in Malta. Don't miss the acts of kindness you can give to those people that you're there with right now. I know you're not where you're supposed to be, but there's still things that you can do right here. Do you know how many people? Two of them. No, a bunch of them. I don't know how many. A bunch of people that I've talked to that, yes, they have callings on their life. Yes, they have great and ideas, and I don't ever want to squelch. Say, yes, you can do this, and yes, you're going to be powerful, and yes, God can use you on the mission field, and yes, God can do this, and yes, you can pastor someday, and yes, you're going to be a fine, fabulous teacher, and yes, you're going to be great at all these, whatever they are. Can you help us at maybe be guest care and hold the door? No. Can you come to work night? Why? It's bigger and lofty dreams and goals. You'll never get there until you get on Malta. You'll never get there until you serve. He that's faithful over a few things, God will make him ruler over many things. Until you serve where you are, you bloom where you're planted, you, you're there in those situations that, that I don't know how long you're going to be there. You may be in Malta a long time, but while you're there, please serve while you're there. Don't forget the blessings of God while you're there. During all of those layovers, we're, we're gaining things and God is helping us and preparing us and he'll equip us for what we're about to encounter later. You guys have known me. I've been here for 150,000 years, it seems like. So some of you know, I've been here, I don't know, since 1999 was put on staff in the year 2000. So we're talking almost 21 years now that I've been on staff at this church. <laughs> some of you still don't think I am, but I promise I was not ready to pastor this church in the year 2000. I wasn't ready to pastor this church in 2005. I wasn't ready to pass this church in 2010. I wasn't ready to pass this church in 2015. Do you know when I was ready to pass this church? When I got elected pastor of this church. That's when I was ready to pass this church. But when that happens, you have to understand that, that, that it's a long way and there's a lot of patience involved in those things, but God is equipping you all along the way to give you the proper things and the proper resources to get you where you're supposed to be and to fulfill the purpose that you're supposed to be fulfilling. Acts 28, 9 says, so when, we, so when this was done, this was after the healing of Publius' dad, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed. Now watch, Acts 28, 10. And then they also honored us with many honors, and when we departed, they kicked us off the island and said, good riddance to you people. No. And when we departed, we won them over to our political party. 
Nope. And when we departed, because we had served them and blessed them and we had church and revival and we showed them the love of God, because of that, they loaded us down with everything we needed to get to Rome. They weren't ready to go to Rome. They didn't have a boat. They, they threw everything in the sea. They were in a storm. They had nothing to get to Rome, but because they stopped at Malta. I always think of this story when, when stuff like this about God providing. I think of when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It's almost Christmas time. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And he was a, Joseph was a carpenter. I don't know what he all did to provide for his family. And wise men came from the east and brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, representing this, that, and the other. I don't know all that stuff. But then in a dream, God told Joseph, they're seeking his life to kill. You need to get to Egypt. How could he fund the trip? Because probably some two years before, God knocked on the hearts of wise men and they followed the star until they brought the funding to get him to Egypt. God will provide what you need for the next, next leg of your journey. Not when I do it in my time, but when I do it in his time, he's going to help Acts 28, 11, and after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose name was Castor and Pollux, sorry for these names, 12, and landing at Syracuse, we tarried three more days, and from thence we fetched a compass and came to Rhegium, and after one day, the south wind blew, and we came, and we came the next day to Petioli, sorry, Acts 28, 14, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us from as far as Apolloforum and the three taverns, not bars, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. You have to understand here, Paul was on this journey, and even when they started on their way to Rome, they still had passages. They still had stops. They still had ways to get there. But Paul, when he got there, he was allowed to stay and relax in a house with just someone watching him, but he could go there and he, he was, and that's when he got to Rome. But when he arrived on the shore, he was presented with this welcoming party and that they would continue to Rome by foot, which was some 150 miles away yet. But Paul needed this emotional and spiritual support just as much as he needed food and water and shelter after landing in Malta. The beauty and timing of God's provision never ceases to amaze me. You have to understand that if God can meet your physical and material needs like he did on Malta, he can also meet your spiritual and emotional needs by the family of God. Don't be too proud to accept that. Don't be too proud to accept their hospitality and rest in their kindness. The great apostle Paul he needed emotional and spiritual strength. Yes, he did. 
He had just been in a severe storm, just been in shipwreck. He may have gotten some strength back in Malta, but really those people, he preached to them, but he poured himself out some more. So when he got there, how wonderful the homecoming and the brethren and people that came to him to support him in a physical, not in a physical, but an emotional and in a spiritual way. This is why the body of Christ is so beautiful. God uses his children to bless one another. Remember the, the, the sermon I preached some time ago? Don't answer this. That called be a Titus, be a Titus to someone. When you're down and you're out, be a lifter up of someone's head. Encourage someone in some way because you don't know the battles they're facing. And while in the middle of everything, it may be so confusing, but once you enter Rome, you can look back and you can say, ah, now things are starting to make sense. Things are starting to be put into place. Those unscheduled layovers in Malta was more than necessary for what I was about to face coming up. I had to have all of those resources. I had to have all of that stuff that I learn. And so when Paul arrived in Rome, he must have felt, yes, a mixture of relief and excitement, but Paul may have also wondered what he was in for now when he got there. But when he arrived on that shore, yes, he was exhausted. Yes, he was tired, but there were people there to lift him up and to encourage him. Do you know how much more we can do in the body of Christ if everybody was for everybody and nobody was against anybody? People call me and say, you know, we're thinking about so-and-so and thinking about doing this or thinking about that. And, and I guess the elders and the board can sit me down. But I say, it's all about the kingdom. Whatever you can do, whatever we can help, however we can do this, let's do it. The city needs Jesus. And so we can do it together in this. But if someone's trying to reach their Rome and everybody else is discouraging along the way, Everybody else is pulling them down along the way. We can't get to Rome. They can't get to their Rome. So I beg this church, be a church that looks at a bigger field. Be a church that looks at bigger than the outside, than just the sanctuary. But we look at the world. We look at Hazelwood. Yes, but we look at North County and we look at St. Louis County and we look at St. Louis Metro and we look at the Missouri District. God has richly blessed this church. So whatever we can do to hold up the hands of somebody else, we need to do that and be an encouragement to them because God Great things can happen when we all work together for God. So yeah, you may be on Malta, but be patient. You're caning some stuff. But as people reach the shore and they're all weary, hold them close and lift them up and encourage them because they just got to Rome, but they still have a 150 mile trek before they get to where God truly wants them to be. It takes everybody working together, folks. No man is an island, but in this together, great things, great revival, great powerful moves of God, great favor will be on this church as we search for him and as we seek after him. Let's all stand in the building. Thank you, Lord, for your touch in this house tonight. I pray that something that came across my lips, across this pulpit, would have stirred something deep down in our spirits. Lord, the people that have been down on themselves, full of shame, God, help them to understand that is not from you. 
that they have been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb and let that testimony propel them to do great and mighty things for you. I pray those that, 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 that don't understand why they're on Malta and they've been there all a long time. I pray that you'd give them strength and courage, help them to understand and, and to not forget to see the blessings that are there and to not help people along the way. And I pray for those, Jesus, who are just reaching the shore and they're just coming on to the shore of where you're trying to get them to. I pray that those that are there, those that are surrounding them would lift up their hands and would encourage them and be a, a spiritual warrior for them, Jesus. I pray that you would help this church, God. I pray that everything that we do we be done with wisdom and power and might, but it would all be to bring glory to you, Jesus. Bless each person in this place. Let us be salt and light to this dark world. Help us to do your will. Walk through every open door you place before us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.